Hello, welcome to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast, where it is all about helping amazing physicians just like you create a wealthy life free from burnout and with the financial security to practice medicine on your own terms. I'm your host, Dr. Elisa Zhang. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast. Just like medicine has its own language and vocabulary, the financial world also has its own language and its vocabulary, which makes it sound more foreign and complicated than it needs to be. When you start looking at investment opportunities, you're going to start hearing some of these terms, especially the ones that talk about how much you could profit with an investment. There are so many ways that this is presented that it can be confusing. For this episode, I thought I'd go into the terms you'll encounter when you're looking at investment returns. Some of these terms are used when looking at any investment, while others are more specific to real estate investing. Let's start with all the ways about talking about return on investment, or ROI. Return on investment is exactly what it sounds like. What is the return or profit that you can expect relative to the amount that you invest? Return on investment can be used as a general term. For example, If you invest in your financial education by buying a book on finances and reading it, there might not be an actual monetary benefit that you can calculate, but certainly the knowledge that you gain is a return on investment of you buying or borrowing the book from the library and the time you took to read it. Return on investment can also refer to the rate of return, which is a specific calculation as a percentage or ratio when the return or profit is divided by the cost of the investment. For example, let's say you invest $50,000 and then you get $60,000 back, which means you got a $10,000 profit on your original $50,000. Your ROI is 20% calculated by $10,000 of profit divided by $50,000 of your initial investment. Let's say you invest $50,000 and you get $150,000 back or $100,000 of profit plus your original $50,000 then you would say that your ROI is 200% or 2x. We're dividing that $100,000 of profit over the $50,000 you initially invested. Now, equity multiple is similar, but it's not the same as rate of return. With equity multiple, you divide the total amount returned to you at the end of the investment by the amount invested. So that total amount returned to you includes your initial investment. In the case of the previous example of investing $50,000 and getting $60,000 back, you would divide $60,000 by $50,000 for an equity multiple of 1.2x. Or if you invested $50,000 and got $150,000 back, you would divide $150,000 by $50,000 for an equity multiple of 3x. You can see how a slight change in how the return is calculated can make a big difference. The rate of return may be a value that looks like an equity multiple, but actually means something different. An investment with an equity multiple of 2.5x is not as high of a return as a rate of return of 2x. The rate of return and the equity multiple do not take into account the holding period or how long the investment took for you to get your profit. So while 2x your money may sound like a great investment, if it took 20 years for that to happen, then it's not such a great investment after all. For comparison, investing in the stock market typically doubles every seven years or so, if you look at the historical data. If it takes 20 years for an investment to get a 2x rate of return or equity multiple, then you would be better off investing in low-cost diversified index funds, 
which would actually be a 4x equity multiple in 14 years. Think about this way. If you invest $50,000 and it doubles twice in 14 years, it'll go from $50,000 to $100,000 and then $100,000 to $200,000. So if you have $200,000 after 14 years, that equity multiple is $200,000 divided your initial $50,000 or an equity multiple of 4x, which would be a rate of return of 3x because you would take your $150,000 of profit and divide it by the $50,000 that you initially invested. The internal rate of return, or IRR, takes into consideration the time value of money. It's generally considered the gold standard for comparing two similar investments. However, there are different assumptions that can be used when calculating the IRR, such as if it's calculated with pre-tax returns or post-tax returns. So you do want to look at the assumptions before you compare two different investments IRR. IRR accounts for all cash flows into and out of the investment. And it includes when those cash flows move in and out, which accounts for time. It's usually calculated as an annualized return, not a cumulative or average return. The IRR is much more difficult to calculate than the rate of return or the equity multiple. And the easiest way to do it is using a spreadsheet where you'll input all the cash flow along with all the dates of the cash flow. And that includes positive cash flow and negative cash flow. You'll also need to know the current value of the investment when you're calculating the IRR. And the more accurate that current value of the investment will be, the more accurate the IRR that you calculate will be. While IRR is somewhat straightforward to calculate later on when you look at your investments in review, there are a lot of assumptions that are made when calculating a predicted IRR, which is what will be presented to you when you're actually looking at investment opportunity it's much harder to predict all the cash flow and when that cash flow will happen throughout the investment compared to what price you're purchasing the investment at and what you predict you can sell it for in the future. While no one can really know the value of the property in the future, that's at least one prediction instead of dozens of predictions when it comes to all the ins and outs of the cash flow. Another term you might encounter with all this is net present value or NPV, which accounts for the difference in the value of money over time due to inflation. When it comes to real estate investing, you may also hear the term cash-on-cash cash return. The cash-on-cash cash return is used to look at one year of the property, generally the first year of property ownership, but sometimes the first few years. It's calculated by taking the annual pre-tax cash flow on a property divided by the initial cost of acquiring the property and getting it up and running. The main use of the cash-on-cash cash metric is to evaluate property prior to the purchase or soon after the purchase. Over time, as real estate appreciates and the rents increase, it becomes a less useful metric. Another calculation that's sometimes done when acquiring real estate is figuring out the payback period. The payback period is how long it will take for you to recoup your initial investment from the cash flow of the investment. It's calculated by taking all the acquisition cost and dividing by the annual cash flow. For example, if you purchase a property where the down payment closing costs, and then any rehab costs you have, or things like furnishing if it's a short-term rental, were around $100,000, and then you got $25,000 of positive cash flow a year, then it would take you four years to recoup your initial investment of that $100,000, meaning a payback period of four years. When you're making calculations on cash flow, whether it's a business investment or a real estate investment, which really, when you're investing in real estate, you're investing in a business, 
you're going to end up looking at income and expenses at some point. Gross operating income is all the income a company receives from selling the goods or services before the costs related to producing or supplying those goods or services are subtracted. Unlike with many businesses, in real estate, it's possible to calculate the gross scheduled income, which is the maximum amount of cash that can be generated by an investment property. This assumes full occupancies with no vacancy. This is all the possible income from the property and includes any additional income from things like parking spaces or laundry services. If you have a 30-unit apartment building that rents for $1,000 per month per unit and 45 parking spots that rent at $50 per month, and laundry machines that make $100 a month, then your gross scheduled income is going to be $1,000 multiplied by 30 units times 12 months, plus $50 times 45 parking spots times 12 months, plus $100 times 12 months for laundry for a total of $388,200. Realistically, you're never going to achieve this income because you're going to have some vacancy at some point. Gross operating income for an investment property is your gross scheduled income minus the vacancies and any tenants who aren't paying rent. This is your actual income from the property. For real estate, the net operating income is the gross operating income minus the operating expenses except for mortgage payments. This is all expenses, maintenance, utilities, property taxes, insurance, accounting fees, legal fees, and any other fees or expenses that you have. For other businesses, the net operating income is the gross operating income minus the operating expenses to produce the goods or services that were used to generate the gross operating income. It does not include non-operating income, like interest income from cash in the bank, and it would also exclude any non-operating expenses, such as loss on a sale of a capital asset, interest expenses, and tax expenses. A company's gross profit refers to their profits after subtracting the cost of producing and distributing their product or services, but doesn't take into account other expenses. Gross profit is the revenue minus the cost of goods sold, sometimes abbreviated as COGS or COGS. Revenue is also called net sales because it may include discounts or deductions from products that were returned or damaged. Revenue is often referred to as the top line. Cost of goods sold refers to the direct cost involved in producing the product or delivering the service. This includes costs like the cost of materials, labor, shipping costs, equipment costs for production, and repair costs of equipment. Gross profit is an indication of how efficiently a company manages its production costs. Compare this to net income. Net income is the company's actual profit and includes all costs and expenses. This is what's referred to as the bottom line. It includes operating expenses, administrative costs, legal costs, interest payments on debt, income taxes, as well as depreciation. It also includes income that's not related to the company's product or services, like interest on money in bank accounts or any kind of other interest in some other company. The net income is the total revenue minus the total expenses. Investors are typically interested in net income more than gross profit since any dividends from ownership of the company will come from having a net income. The value of a business is the company's assets minus their liabilities. Since the company's assets includes intellectual property, branding, and other intangibles, 
these are things that can be difficult to place a true value on. So that also makes it harder to place a value on the company. One way to value a private company is to use comparative company analysis by searching for a publicly traded company that most closely resembles the private company and determining valuation metrics. The value of the publicly traded company is much easier to calculate. You multiply the price of one share of stock of the company by the number of shares issued. I won't dive deeper into this subject now, but this is something to consider if you are interested in investing in private equity, meaning buying a portion of a private company that is not publicly traded on the stock market. Real estate is a bit easier to evaluate, as there are more likely to be comparable properties that sold recently to whatever real estate you're looking at. This is what's referred to when someone talks about the comps. To value a piece of real estate, typically an appraiser will look for at least three similar real estate sales, meaning similar in type of property, close in location, similar square footage, similar age of build, you get the idea. With investment property, the income the property produces affects the value of the property. This gets into capitalization rate or cap rate. The cap rate is a net operating income divided by the value of the property. You can think of the cap rate as a cash on cash return of the property if you pay for the property completely in cash without taking any kind of mortgage on the property. Cap rates can range anywhere from 2% all the way up to 15%, and maybe even higher. An A-class property in a big city with a high cost of living that's showing rapid appreciation would potentially have a cap rate of somewhere low in that 2 to 3% range, whereas a D-class property in a city with a shrinking population may have that 15% cap rate. The net income multiplier is the inverse of the cap rate, or one divided by the cap rate. This can be a way to estimate the value of the property if you know the net income of the property and the cap rate for that type of property in that condition in that neighborhood. That was a lot of vocabulary and terms to go through. If you stuck with me this far, you've done great. The more you hear these words and see them when you're vetting potential investments, the more familiar you'll get with the information they convey about each investment. One last word of advice, don't chase the promise of high returns. You really want to look at the deal itself and really look at what assumptions they're using when they're calculating all the return on investments. You want to look at if they're using conservative numbers or aggressive numbers. There may be a deal that's actually better because they're using more conservative numbers, so their IRR does not look as high than another deal where they're really being aggressive and doing best case scenario numbers so that their IRR looks great. But if you actually look at their assumptions, maybe it's really not as great of a deal as the more conservative figures. As always, thanks for listening. I really appreciate being in your ears every week. And if you love the information I'm bringing you, please subscribe and share this podcast with others. I would also love it if you could write a review. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could share it with your friends and colleagues. And now for the disclaimer. I am not a certified financial planner, accountant, or attorney, and nothing I say should be construed as professional investment, tax, or legal advice. This show is primarily for your education and entertainment. I am a physician, but I'm probably not your physician. So if you need any medical advice, please contact your own physician. Thank you.